Hey everybody, this is Gene Troyer. I'm the lead pastor of Restore Church. And what a pleasure it is to welcome you to our podcast. It's my hope that you will be marked by love and encouraged in your faith and inspired to become all God has created you to be. Now I invite you to lean in and enjoy the podcast. Good to see all of you guys. I'm Gene. I'm part of the team here at Restore this morning. I want to just, uh, I want to just pause for a few minutes and um, just recognize that sometimes it doesn't feel like it ends, right? Like the the events of our week. I want to just pause and recognize that we that we sometimes we don't know what to do with everything that comes at us we began the week with the horrific shootings in Nashville and we ended the week with a first time in history presidential indictment i mean it's been nonstop for the last number of years. And I, was, I, I want to just um, recognize that in some of your personal lives, it's been nonstop. It's been one thing after another, after another, and after another. Sometimes um, we've, I mean, I think we've all been in places where we thought we had clarity about our lives, about our futures, And then something comes out of nowhere. Something hits the fan. And we we find ourselves sideways, uh, having lost our equilibrium. And I think it's important for us to decide what do we do in those moments? What do we do? Do we retreat or do we advance? Do we go hide or do we step forward? with courage. Maybe this morning you've discovered that the person you thought was your person uh, has broken trust. Maybe this morning you're thinking about the illness that has just been diagnosed in your life that is not the diagnosis that you want. Maybe the womb is closed that you thought would be fertile. The child that you invested your entire life in has decided that faith is not for them. Maybe they've walked away from a faith that you have poured into their lives. You've given up so much to make sure that they would walk the walk and talk the talk but they have decided otherwise. Maybe this morning, the job that you thought would be the thing, the career path that you thought you were going to be on, maybe that's gone. Maybe it's all turned upside down. What do you do? What do you do when the unthinkable happens in your life? What do you do? I think for many of us, we ask questions like, who will save me from the mess that I've made? 
Who will save me from this mess that I am living into? For some of us, it is who will rip the bandage off and tell us the truth? Who's going to tell the truth? On a national level, who will have the courage to tell the truth? Who will have the courage to write some laws that will help our current scenario? Who's going to have the fortitude to like courageously address the mess that we're in? We've got a lot of evidence in front of us to see that every evil thought, every thought that is not of God, left to grow and flourish, is going to come to a very detrimental end. Some have said this week, hey, we don't need your prayers, we need action. We don't need your prayers, we need action. And I, I agree with... Um, New York Times columnist David French, who wrote this week, he said, prayer isn't a substitute for action. It's a prerequisite for action. Let me say that again. Prayer is not a substitute for action. It is a prerequisite for action. We must be people that pray first and act second. We must be people that pray first and talk second. We must be people that pray first. And I find this prayer to be really helpful in my own life. Father, what is it that I know? And Father, what is it that I need to know? What is it that I know already? What is it that I need to know? What do you know right now? What is it that you need to know? You know the Father answers prayers like this. He understands the need. He wants to clarify what you already know. He wants to clarify the wisdom that is in you already. He wants to draw out of you the insight that he's ready to pour in. He wants to see it come to fruition. Those, those things in your lives that you've been thinking about, that you've been praying about, that you have given over to him. And even those things you haven't given yet, he's waiting and expecting and inviting us to release what is burdening us this morning and releasing that to his work in us. Pray first, act second. This is so, so important because the reality is that there will be days when we are completely disoriented because of the pain and suffering that we're experiencing. But this is also important because when we are disoriented, when the way in front of us is blocked, if we come back into alignment, if we, if we orient ourselves to hear his voice, to pray, to lean in and trust, we will stay the course. Even in those moments when everything is dismal and dark, we will stay the course because we have established trust in our lives. So as we, as we think about 
our own circumstances and our own world this morning. I have to believe as I've reflected on this Sunday, this first Sunday of Holy Week, we call it Palm Sunday, that Jesus, the God-man, God coming to earth as a human being who suffered and experienced all the things that are that we feel we're afflicted by that we experience the temptations the sorrows the pain He has this in common with us He was an emotional human being who experienced as we experience Do you ever think of Jesus as feeling hopeless? I do. This week in history, this holy week, he will end up in the Garden of Gethsemane where he will pray, not my will but yours be done. When I pray, not my will, yours be done, there's a sense of release. Okay, I'm surrendering. But you know what? It takes me a minute to get there. I'll bet it takes you a minute to get there. To get to a place where you can say, this hopelessness that I feel, I'm at a place where I can release this now. I believe Jesus had moments, moments of hopelessness. I don't believe he lived there but I believe he felt those moments of hopelessness. If you would turn in your Bibles to John chapter 12. John chapter 12. Let me set this up. So this begins Holy Week, but Jesus had arrived in the city or in the the village of Bethany. And he was spending time with Lazarus who he had just raised from the dead and his sisters, Mary and Martha. And he was spending time there with them. Bethany was about two miles away from Jerusalem. So he spends time in Bethany with this family. Lazarus had just been raised from the dead. This miraculous moment, just amazing experience of seeing a dead man walk out of a grave. Crazy stuff. And the people heard Jesus was with Mary and Martha and Lazarus. He was at their house. And so the people came to Bethany. His, the people that knew about this, they came to Bethany because they wanted to be with him. They wanted to be with the place where this miracle had happened. They came after. They wanted to be in the presence of this miraculous scenario. They wanted to experience this. And I'll bet some of them came because they needed a miracle in their lives as well. They came to be, to be healed. They came to be restored. And they came, some of them, just to see the spectacle. But this is where Jesus was just prior to leaving. And now he is uh, walking to Jerusalem. And the people are coming with him. And so we begin in verse 12. The next day, the news that Jesus was on the way to Jerusalem swept through the city, swept through the city of Jerusalem. And a large crowd of Passover visitors took palm branches. So the crowds now not only came from Bethany with him, but they came out 
from Jerusalem to meet him as well. They brought palm branches and went down the road to meet him. They shouted, praise God, blessings on the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Hail to the king of Israel. Jesus found a young donkey and rode on it, fulfilling the prophecy that said, don't be afraid, people of Jerusalem. Look, your king is coming, riding on a donkey's colt. His disciples didn't understand at the time that this was a fulfillment of prophecy. But after Jesus entered into his glory, they remembered what had happened and realized that these things had been written about him. Now many in the crowd had seen Jesus call Lazarus from the tomb, raising him from the dead, and they were telling others about it. That was the reason so many went out to meet him, because they had heard about this miraculous sign. Then the Pharisees said to each other, there's nothing we can do. Look, everyone has gone after him. The next day, the news that Jesus was on the way to Jerusalem swept through the city. People rushed out to meet him, waving palm branches, signifying victory. See, when Jesus steps on the scene, there's something very compelling about him, is it not? There's something very compelling about his nature. He's patient. He's kind. He is good. He's a straight talker. And he talks with mystery at the same time. When the moment is right, he speaks right to the heart. And often it's in a mystical way. Jesus attracted people. He's a compelling figure in history. For those that choose to be compelled by him. For those that choose to live into what he calls them to. He's very compelling. But he also repels people at the same time. Some people, when we choose to live a a way that is opposite of the way of Jesus. The compelling nature that he shows, that he gives, the spirit when it draws us to him. If we're not in alignment, it can be the cause for us to step back and move away instead of leaning in. In Zechariah 9, this prophecy that Jesus would find a young donkey, he would ride in on it. I love in chapter, verse 15 where it says, don't be afraid. Already, the scriptures have in Zechariah, we're already talking to us today to not be afraid. When those moments come, when we, we say we see no way out, when those moments come, when we are at the end, when everything seems dismal and dreary, and it's not just a northern Indiana day. I mean, for real, it's dismal and dreary. He says, don't be afraid. Your king has come. Verse 16, his disciples just did not understand. They had spent three years shoulder to shoulder with Jesus. They did not understand. They were confounded by his actions and by his words. Why, Jesus? If you are the conquering king, if you are going to set up your government, why are you riding in on a donkey? Tradition would say you ride in on a white stallion. You ride in as a king that you are. Why are you riding in on a donkey? 
It's counterintuitive to what they expected. They couldn't believe he actually meant what he said for the last three years. They couldn't believe that he actually meant what he said about being a person of peace. And then he rides in on a donkey, which is a beast of peace. They couldn't believe that they were following a king who would reject the way of violence, that wouldn't take his, 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 uh, his place with violence, but would take his place in peace. See, you and I, we have a hard time. Like, we can't actually believe that he means what he says when he says, entrust your life to me. Like, surrender your life to me and you will have life. We have a hard time wrapping our head around that. Many of us cannot believe that God had chose, that God chose the way of meekness, the way of, of integrity, the way of love to gather his people. Does a king do this? Does a king behave in this manner? And many of us, really, we cannot believe that God would come into time and space to be crucified, to die a sacrificial death, and in the process, pay more than we would ever be willing to pay ourselves. The cost of his life laid down. But after Jesus entered into his glory, they remembered what had happened and realized that these things had been written about him. Many in the crowd had seen Jesus call Lazarus from the tomb, raising him from the dead, and they were telling others about it. That was the reason so many went out to meet him because they had heard about this miraculous sign. Do you chase after the miracle? Do you chase after the miracle in your life? Are you settling for what is just humdrum, day-to-day -day life that is boring you to death? Do you chase after the miracle that God is bringing into your life even now? Do you perceive the miracle that is it before you? We get pretty caught up in just the day-to-day -day stuff, right? And sometimes the miracle that God does around us and in us is out of sight, out of mind. Hey, thanks, God. Appreciate it. Thanks for working that out. Appreciate it. I believe God is calling us to be a people that are grateful, a people that cannot wait to tell someone else, listen to what God has done in my life. Has he done it in your life? Have you experienced freedom in your life? Have you experienced his grace in your life? Are you living into all that he's created you to be? His disciples felt compelled. They were compelled to follow him. And yet they were confounded by the way that he is setting up his kingdom. See, they were looking for a redeemer king, a king that would redeem them from the oppression of the government of that day. They didn't understand that their redeemer was right there in front of them. That his redemption would be a one and done in the most unexpected of ways. 
And there would be days of them trying to figure out how do I process what just happened. They couldn't have known that they were celebrating a victory as they met him in, on the road, going into Jerusalem, waving palm branches, putting their cloaks on the, their coats, taking their overcoats off, putting them on the, on the ground. They were, they were celebrating that the king had arrived, not knowing who this king really was. But they, were, they couldn't have known that they were celebrating a victory before it had ever happened. They couldn't have known that the king coming in peace would wage a war. A few days later, he would wage that war to the death and he would win. They couldn't have known that the victory was already won. But they were celebrating before they had that knowledge. In 2021, uh, Tom Brady was... Uh, about to play his, uh, well, the last Super Bowl that he won. And he, um, he was, their, their team, Tampa, was playing Kansas City. And um, what we found out afterward was that every night at 11 o'clock, for the week leading up to the Super Bowl, every night at 11 o'clock, Tom Brady would send a text message to his teammates. Three simple words. He would say, we will win. Three simple words, every night at 11 p.m. We will win. And they did. They won. And when his teammates were asked about this after the Super Bowl win, they said, we believed in him. We believed in the play calling. We believed in what the coaches were calling. And we just ran with it. We just ran with it. We will win. I wonder if you're clear that you've already won. Are you clear that the outcome is decided? Do you have clarity this morning? Do you believe in Jesus? Do you believe in his play calling? Do you trust enough to follow? Do you know that before you got into the battle, the battle was already won? Uh, to be clear, to uh, to think clearly, to have clarity. It means eyes wide open, destination known kind of living. We've all heard the term destination unknown. Destination known kind of living means that we have clarity. We are clear about our future. It means that my confidence is based on relationship and knowing that whatever my circumstances are today, my tomorrow is already won and I can believe it. I have clarity in joy, and I have clarity in sorrow. I have clarity in suffering. I am clear about my life, even when I am completely happy and completely sad. Clarity doesn't need to leave us in those moments because Jesus is clear about the victory. Jesus had clarity. He saw clearly. He had no illusions about what was ahead of him this holy week that was ahead of him as he walked toward Jerusalem he had complete clarity about what was ahead the gospel writers Matthew, Mark, Luke and John they all have um, a nuanced perspective to these final days but I think of it this way 
on his way to dinner. See, that's how I think about how Jesus was walking toward Jerusalem. He's on his way to dinner, the Last Supper, the Passover meal that he would celebrate. On his way to dinner, we see him cursing a fig tree for lacking in fruit. We see him weeping over the city and the coming destruction. He's turning tables in the temple. On his way to dinner, he never lost sight of the cross that was before him. Today, he sees you and I clearly. He loves us, and he sees us as we truly are. He sees us for who we are becoming, because on his way to dinner, not the Last Supper that we think of during Holy Week, but on his way to dinner, to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And that's a, a Christianese way to say that at the end of time, there's a consummation of Jesus and his bride, Jesus and his church, Jesus and you and I. On his way to dinner, He's still turning tables over. He is still pointing out the places where our trees are bare and our fruit is non-existent and our fruit is rotten. Where empty religious activity, this lip service and fruitless ritual, wherever that is present, he's pointing that out. At least in my life, I assume he's doing so in your life as well shaking us up. On his way to dinner, he's still turning tables. He's turning them over in our lives. He's still calling us to a life laid down, a life that is fully surrendered, to a life that is fully devoted, to a life that is deeply committed to worshiping him. Would you stand with me? The prayer team's going to be up front this morning again. And um, this is a, a moment in our service where uh, this can either become the thing of, okay, let's get it over with so I can go home, or it can become the thing where that is the power source for the rest of our week. Would you just um, put your hands out in front of your hands like this, right, or in front of your body right now? Uh, we often do this as a sign of uh, surrender. It is a sign of surrender, but it is also a posture of prayer. And so what I want to pray over us this morning is that the Father would reveal himself to you in ways that perhaps you haven't experienced before. Father, what do we know? 
God, I pray that you would just reveal to each person in this space this morning for those of uh, us in other places this morning, God, as we lift our, our hands out in front of us like this, we do it because we want more of you. We want to know what, what is it that you want us to still know? What do we know and what do we need to know? And I believe as you ask that question this morning of the Father, that the Father reveals himself to us. Don't move out of this thought process too quickly. Lean in. Father, what is it that we know? What is it that we need to know? God, you know, the unexplicable pain that is just tearing at some of us. The grief, the sorrow. It's this intermingling of our emotions where we feel both heavy and at the same time we also feel a lightness about the hope that we have in you. God, we know that you are all powerful. And still we have more questions than answers. And so for the person in the space this morning, Father, I would pray uh, for that person who is asking the hard life questions of if God is so good, what is up with all this evil? Would you speak to them even now, Father? God, we're grateful for the alignment that comes when we connect with you. thank you. We thank you as we step into this holy week of commemorating your journey to Jerusalem and everything that happens this week. As we consider the sacrifice you've made for us, we say again, we're so grateful. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Thanks for joining us for today's episode. Please rate and review us on Spotify and iTunes and join us again for next week's podcast. We love you and pray blessing and peace over you and your family.